Alex, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to have you on. Um, now, I I always struggle with an introduction, especially when somebody like yourself is so accomplished in such a wide range of outdoor activities. So that's what I that's what I would say is an all around mountain athlete focusing primarily on the Eastern Sierras from your YouTube channel. But I wanted to give you a chance to introduce yourself and fill in a lot of those blanks. Cool. Thank you so much. It's uh, really exciting to be here. Um, so my name is Alex Vankovich, and I currently live in the Bay Area, specifically San Francisco. Um, I am a high school physics teacher, I'm a husband, and just your overall sort of really psyched, outdoorsy kind of guy. Um, I like to go rock climbing. I love to go peak bagging, scrambling, whatever people want to call that these days, uh, backpacking, uh, snowboarding, as well as road biking. And yeah, I keep most of it centered in California, specifically the Sierra Nevada, just because I love it so much. That's a great, great intro. And I like I like the call out that you've been doing this long enough that sometimes the names change over time and you just kind of roll with it. And, and it seems like uh, I find that the most avid outdoorsmen's outdoorsmen tend to say, hey, just call it what you want to call it. This is what I do. Yeah. Uh, now, I see from your YouTube channel that you've been doing this for a real long time. Now, how how early did you start um, in the outdoors? And then um, kind of what is your motivation for being outdoors and also starting a YouTube channel? That's a great question. Um, honestly, I don't really know if I could really pinpoint when my full time in the outdoors actually started. I mean, I have photos of myself as a baby in like the kid carrier on my dad's back on the summit of mountains that I don't even remember. Um, I grew up actually in New England, but I have a little cabin up in Vermont. And I remember just spending a lot of time up there in the summers doing hikes in the whites and the surrounding areas. Um, if I was going to point to a specific moment where I was kind of like, I belong outdoors and this is the place for me. Um, it's actually going to be the summer going into my sophomore year of high school. I did a trip with my folks to Grand Teton National Park and my dad and I hired uh, a guide and we were guided up the Grand Teton and that just changed everything. That was like one of the best, that, that was the best day of my life up to that point. And just like being on the face of such a iconic big mountain with like the exposure and the views and just like the excitement of doing that climb, like really just showed me like the outdoors is the place for me and where I feel like I belong. And from there, it was just, you know, in the rock gym training all through high school. Um, I also was really lucky that I had a great scout master who took us on trips to Colorado where we were able to do some 14ers and stuff when I was still in high school. And then um, college, I did a lot of skiing. And after I graduated, I kind of just, you know, prioritized being outdoors as much as I can, um, getting out on the weekends, getting out in the summer. And um, it's it's just way too much fun. Awesome. Um, I find I find that's that's a really interesting story of, of kind of like how you started and that that origin story. Do you find that you're somebody that has always reacted really positively and enjoyed uh, the exposure? I know it's a very unique situation um, to be in, and I find some people love it and some people are really turned off by it. I I, lo I mean, I love it. The short answer is <laughs> sure. I love it. Um, and I, I love it because I think it's sort of a mental challenge. You know, like you can walk down the sidewalk and keep your feet 
within a 12 inch, you know, space with, without even thinking about it. But when you get to the mountains and, you know, you have to do something like that, but there's a hundred feet on either side of you or more, all of a sudden it feels a lot scarier, but I don't think it really is. You know, you take millions and millions of steps without tripping every single day. There's a 0.001% chance you're going to trip if you're going out on that small ledge. And I think it's really more about taming your mind and realizing that you are in control than actually being scared and letting the fear take over. That is, <clears throat> excuse me, that is, a, that, is an, that is an awesome answer. And I like that you focus so much on the mental aspect there. I'm realizing I might have jumped ahead too far. Can Would you mind just telling us what exposure is? Yeah, so exposure is just kind of like air under your feet. You know, if you're doing like a scramble or something like a rock climb, how how high above the ground are you? You know, if you're one rope length, you have like 100 feet of air under you. But sometimes in these mountains, I'll have like a thousand plus and it can be really exhilarating. Uh, yeah, and I really like that you focus on the mental aspect of it. I usually direct people who perhaps haven't had a lot of experience in the outdoors of the my classic example of, of what exposure is, are the final cables on Half Dome kind of making it up the way, is that it's a, it's a surprisingly intimidating um, um, kind of like final stretch to be in. And it, most more people have had kind of uh, um, maybe access to that than some of your more remote climbs. Um, now you, you really focus on the, or you, you cited the, the mental aspect of it. And I want to hold on, hold on that for a minute. Or do you find that you, um, developed that over time or that you were always perhaps mentally strong with that exposure? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think I've always been pretty comfortable with it. I, I think some of this comes from starting it in adolescence where you're just like convinced you're invincible. Honestly, I'm finding myself as I age and I open my mind and I start thinking about like some of the risks that I maybe didn't initially realize. I always been like, oh, wow, like maybe that was a little intense. Uh, but back in the day, it, it never bothered me at all. And, and nowadays I'm treading more carefully, but it still is more a good thing than a bad thing. Now, have you ever had a situation where uh, you took a fall or maybe slipped close to an edge or in a high exposure environment that maybe rattled you or made you rethink? Yes. Um, I was climbing Mount Emerson with one of my really good friends, Pete, which is a, it's a 13,000 foot mountain on the east side of the Sierra outside of Bishop. And I, um, it's supposed to, it's a five, four, which is a rock climbing rating, which is a pretty basic rating. And, um, we got a picture confused in the guidebook and like the guidebook had a picture of the summit, but we were looking at a false summit. So we thought we were going to go a certain way and, um, summit fever totally took over. We kind of came around this corner and there was a huge drop below us. And I was like, nah, man, like, this is definitely what the guidebook is saying we should do. We got to go to the right. Like, yeah, this looks a little harder than five, four, but like, I'm sure it eases. And I kind of pulled around a corner, did a move or two that was a little hard. Um, and I ended up on a ledge with 800 plus feet of air below me and, um, no good way up and really not a good way down. I'm not proud of this. I learned a lot from it, especially about summit fever and thinking ahead. Um, I sat on that ledge for a little while, um, assessed my options. And, um, fortunately we had a climbing rope, but we didn't actually have any harnesses, but I knew how to, um, turn a sling into a harness and I had a rappel device. So I was able to just wrap the rope over, um, a little horn of rock and do a 
15 foot rappel back to the ledge. And then we promptly started our descent from the mountain. That's a, that's a, that's a great story. Uh, and I can, I can, uh, totally empathize with those situations. One of the things about putting yourself in these more advanced outdoor situations like that is that you just can't simply, um, you know, throw up your hands and say, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. Did it take you a while to collect your thoughts on that ledge before you made the call to go up or down? Yeah. Yeah, I really did. Um, I was kind of there and I was like, I'm really not happy with the moves I just did. They were not the rating they're supposed to be. We're clearly off route. Um, and I don't really know how to get down. I think, you know, I was very fortunate to go up without rock breaking or slipping or whatever, but it's a lot harder to go down than up. Um, and once again, I'm, I'm not proud of how I did this. It was total, just tuberous summit fever, like not the type of thing you want to do. I learned a lot from it. And yes, that's filed away in the memory banks as something not to do again. <laughs> well, just to, you know, to, to stay on that trip for a second, you know, one of the interesting things I find is that when you, when, when somebody moves from, um, you know, maybe gym rock climbing or outdoor rock climbing, but it's done on a top rope. So usually you're, you're on the ground and it's, it's relatively contained to a more Alpine style adventure that, that you just, um, kind of described is that even though the rating is relatively low on the scale, that being said, uh, not all five fours are, are created equal is what I yes. find in the outdoors. Some are, some are much, much more difficult than others. Um, and, and in, in your case, it, it always shocks people when I, when I say that route finding is actually really difficult, uh, because, because to the, to the non-rock climber, they're there or the non um adventurer they're thinking well you just go up but it's, talk a little bit about is it is it how difficult it can be in some situations to to follow the route oh yeah it can be it can be really tricky for a variety of reasons i mean first of all when you're on a huge mountain face and you're just like this little speck you you know you you have options um a lot of these routes as well um are called like traditional routes meaning that like there isn't any like fixed protection and there really isn't like a defined way to go Whereas there are some types of rock climbs, like sport climbs, where they have bolts and it's, you know, there's a bolt every 20 feet and you can pretty much like, oh, I'm here and now I'm going there. When you're doing these traditional climbs and you're placing your own protection, it it's your wits. You know, you want to, if you have two cracks, you know, it's like, does the crack on the left stop in 10 feet? So you want to take the crack on the right because it goes like all the way up to the ledge. Um, I'm also a strong believer that rock climbing is all about doing the move that makes your next move as easy as possible. And that's good in the, you know, five, 10 foot range of, you know, like, Ooh, maybe I want to grab, maybe I have to like cross and grab this hold with my right hand. So then my left hand is free to go to the big hold. Whereas if I, instead I grabbed it with my left hand, like I, I couldn't actually get to that big hold, you know? So like you got to plan ahead in small sections. And then you also need to have your eye on the big prize and say, you know, Oh, that's my target. There's the notch at the top of the peak. Um, I, I need to get there, but maybe I'm going to do a little left, right meandering. Um, a lot of rock climbs do have some type of guidebook or something associated with them, but sometimes on the less popular, more remote climbs, there can be a little less information than others. You know, a high def photograph with every ledge marked to belay on is ideal, but sometimes you got to resort to somebody's hand-drawn picture and it'll just say like, you know, this goes on for a really long time. And like, that's not always the most helpful. 
you 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 definitely cross a point uh, you kind of I think in everybody's outdoor uh, outdoor adventure or outdoor um, spectrum where it, it's actually exciting when you open the guidebook and I always say you get what you get and to your point sometimes you get um, a real extensive uh, pitch by pitch section by section uh, overview or on those less popular routes as you described maybe just a picture and a few words and and you have to go off of that now. How do you go about picking the objective, objectives that you that you want to attempt in the outdoors? Yeah. So I'm a very goal-oriented person. I love kind of like looking at lists, checking things off, doing stuff like that. And I have a variety of sort of lists that I go to. Um, I have the current, like the brand new Eric Sloan Yosemite Valley guidebook, and he kind of lists the best climbs of every single grade there. And every time I go to Yosemite, I'm trying to check one or two of those off. Um, when I'm skiing and I ski at uh, Palisades Tahoe, primarily, formerly Squaw Valley, um, there's a famous book that was published uh, many years ago called Squallywood. It's kind of like a guidebook for skiing and um, where it's like, you know, oh, if you go this way, it's like a 45 degree face and a 15 foot drop off a cliff. Or if you go this way, it's like a 60 foot or 60 degree shoot that you need to straight line out of. Um, so I have that book and I'm always pouring over it, trying to, you know, tick off those lines and they're really hard. They're, they're pro level lines. I mean, I've done, I think I've done maybe eight of them in total out of like a 150 or whatever the number is. Um, and my biggest objective for the mountains is what's called the Sierra peak section or the SPS list, which, um, got a little popularity last year, but is still maybe not, um, as known as some other big lists, but, um, the Angeles chapter of the Sierra club, they maintain a list of kind of 247 peaks that they deem worthy in the Sierra. And, um, of those 247, 15 of them are considered to be emblem peaks, which is like the biggest, baddest prizes in every single region. And that's usually what I'm, I'm looking at. If it's, if it's summer trip, I'm going to the mountains. I'm going to be looking at the SPS list, trying to get through as many of them as possible. I really like that answer because I myself uh, have been am goal oriented and have been nice. accused of friends and friends and family of at times being perhaps too results oriented or goal oriented. And I want to ask a, 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 a question to put that in context with with your statement. Um, do you do you sometimes think that you don't leave enough for room for exploration in the outdoors? Um, just if you're too laser focused on specific goals that i i don't know if i've ever gone into the outdoors without a goal so that, that's a okay. very interesting question yeah i mean uh I, I probably not i mean usually when i'm doing a hike or doing something it's going to be a big day it's going to be a long day um you know if a lake's really nice and i have 20 i'm ahead of schedule i could take a quick dip or something that maybe wasn't planned but it it's usually a very much like from the parking lot to this location um, and back. And that's just kind of my style. I, I don't tend to like keep things very chill. When I when I go backpacking, I'm not the type of person who gets to camp at 3.30 and lounges around. I'm very much like a, can I get the tent up before the sun goes down type. Now, do you find that that occasionally puts you in trickier situations? Um, just because it, it sounds like you're, if your time is so scheduled that there's uh less margin for error perhaps um yeah yeah totally um 
there are definitely some times where I feel like I could win an award for biting off a little more than I can chew. Uh, namely around like a, an off trail adventure. I always just misjudge like how quickly can I move off trail, especially through like a talus field or something. Um, yes, I've definitely had some successes as well as failures. Definitely had, some, you know, turning around. Definitely had some days where I get to the car a little later than I'd like to. Um, you know, I, I always have a headlamp in my bag for that reason. Um, but yeah, it could it could definitely uh, be be challenging when you're you're always trying to push yourself. Now, mentally, do you find that it's tough to deal with? an unsuccessful trip or a trip where you didn't, I I'm hesitant to say unsuccessful, but a trip where you didn't accomplish your stated goal. I mean, it never feels, it never feels good. Um, but I try not to one, I try not to dwell too much on the negative, but two, I'm also like a very strong believer that turning around is always the right idea. Like I just told you about kind of getting in over my head on Emerson. Like after that, we didn't push it for that day. And um, I've had some other times where it's kind of been a tough decision and my gut said, turn around. And that really stinks if, you know, you know, it's you're already hiked in a day or whatever to try to do some mountain. But I'm a, I just I say, no, that was the right choice. It didn't feel good in the moment. I'm going to live to climb another day and I'm going to live with that. And the mountain will always be there. And I need to make sure that I am as well. I, I really like that attitude. And um as I as I have the opportunity, I, I think I mentioned before the the podcast. Depending on how I can get this episode out, you're 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 going to be in the sixteen episode sixteen territory. And I find that as I get to talk to more and more adventurers, and just in my own personal life, um, it it's notable that uh, whenever someone whenever anyone with a lot of experience in the outdoors starts to talk to talk about the outdoors and their adventures. I find it a little interesting that they often go to an unsuccessful trip as maybe the first story that they tell. It's almost as though um, those 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 failures, if you will, or those those unsuccessful trips imprint um, more more of an impression in you oftentimes than the successful ones. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, I think the failures are really the learning opportunities. You know, like, w what did I do wrong? Um, I can think of, I did a trip uh, up Shepherd's Pass in the east side of the Sierra to do Mount Tyndall and Mount Williamson, which are both like big 14,000 foot mountains. And um, I didn't research the route on Williamson very well, kind of woke up. There wasn't great weather, didn't have a good sleep. I was really tired from doing some stuff earlier in the week. And, you know, as a, res as a result, we, we pulled the plug and I think that was the right choice just because I, I think we would have honestly gotten on Mount Williamson and probably not known where to go. And that's a recipe for disaster. Um, so I, you know, I learned to research the route a little better. Um, I also can think back to my first ever Yosemite backpacking trip, which is actually my wife and ours kind of first backpacking trip ever together. And we like, didn't know how to ration food at all. We did, we did a, a three night trip. And um, you have to put your food in what's called a bear can if you're hiking in bear country. So it's kind of like a couple gallon container to put your food in. Um, like we each brought one. Like so two people for a three night trip should be one bear can. Like we each brought a bear can and we left the wilderness with the bear can more than half full. You know, so we lugged around like 12 extra pounds of food for three days for absolutely no reason. You're like, like I'm going to remember that other than the time where it was like, oh, cool. I packed my down jacket on top of my log underwear so it was easier to access, you, you know. 
I no, I really like that story, and it's it's very common, especially in the early days of backpacking, to bring so much food that at the end, uh, I remember my friends and, and being in Boy Scouts too. We would we would all pull out the uh, our food at the end from our bear cans at the end of our our trip and just see how many days of food we thought we still had, and it was often more than the trip itself. So we would end <laughs> the trip with so much food, uh, but. It, so these these uh, learning opportunities can take place, um, you know, both on your perhaps more advanced trips and, um, you know, being the, the first time the first time in the outdoors. Um, now, you've mentioned uh, a lot of, of trips in California, and I, I know obviously you're up in the Bay Area or in San Francisco. Um, now, why, why do you are most of your adventures in California? I mean, I just, I love, I love the Sierra so much. I, I've been to many of the very popular mountain ranges of the United States, never in Alaska. Um, but like, I, that's just the spot in my opinion. I mean, I, I, it's, it's so beautiful. I think a lot of people do consider the Sierra to be the most beautiful mountain terrain in the United States, which I totally agree with. Um, the density I think for me is what makes the Sierra so special. It's like, if you are on the summit of a mountain, there are too many other just as beautiful, rugged, remote summits to count. Like it, it's, it's just the type of area where you want to explore every single nook and cranny just because around every corner, in every valley, there's beautiful, you know, glacial blue lakes and these tall rocky peaks just, just every, everywhere, everywhere. Um, and I also just feel a sense of sort of connection and like adventure that I really love in that area. I think there's still an element of kind of wildness to it. Um, you know, it's it's not like some other states where, you know, the, the trail to the top of a peak is super well maintained. And if you get there on a weekend, you know, you, you don't need to think and you just got to follow the crowds, you, you know, like some of these summits, people don't go to all that often. They're they're really remote. Um, it's it's just really, really a fun place to adventure because you sometimes feel like you're the, the only person for miles. I, that's such a great description and the Sierras being, you know, my, my own home mountains, or at least the mountains that I grew up with. Um, I, I would absolutely agree wholehearted, wholeheartedly with that. There's something really special about them. I often, uh, I really also like the landscape I find is a little bit unique. Many or much of the area is above treeline and it's, so it has just such a, a really, uh, unique visual aesthetic, um, being remote and both you can kind of see the trees below you, which I think is a really cool, uh, duality. Um, yeah. Yeah. They have the color palettes of like the green on the granite with the blue lakes. It, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. And certainly adds to the, to the rugged nature of it. Um, now you've, you've cited, I, I think like all these adventures that you, that you want to, to do and, um, almost at the risk of, of, uh, being too philosophical here, I, I love quotes and along those worlds. And the one that comes to mind is, is there's the, there's a, there's an old quote. It's a mis misappropriate quote and Caesar wept for there were no more worlds to conquer. And it, it seems like you're such a goal oriented person and perhaps a little bit of peak baggage that I think this, that quote may resonate with you a little bit. Um, how, how are you able to balance your work life with your outdoor life? I mean, it, it's not easy. That, that takes a lot. That takes a lot of work. I think it, it takes a lot of deliberation. You know, um, 
I'm very lucky that my I my wife is my number one adventure buddy. Um, she's yeah, super fit, super great to go rock climbing, backpacking with any of that stuff. Um, but you know, we put a lot of effort and deliberate thought into prioritizing being outdoors. You know, we we miss a lot of social events. We don't have the biggest social circle in San Francisco because we're off and off gallivanting in the mountains. Um, if we can't have a big weekend also because we're in the Bay Area, we're really fortunate that there is a lot of green space around us. So, you know, just because I'm not doing some 15 mile, 14,000 foot mountain or something over the weekend, um, we have, you know, hikes, trail runs, um, phenomenal biking opportunities just right in our own backyard. So we're we're going to do that if we can't have a massive weekend. Do you find that um uh, I know I know that you're a, a big a big um, skier and you know kind of winter sports guy, but I find that that is I know the channel your your channel is very focused on what I would call a, perhaps more summer uh, summer Sierra um, yeah uh, yeah adventures and hobbies. Now, do you find like in the winter or perhaps this time of the of the year uh, you're starting to get itchy and get ready to to get back into the into the Sierras? I mean, yes. The answer is always yes. Um, sure. So I also feel like because I grew up in New England where things are very seasonal, it's very different than what I have right now in the Bay Area. So if you want to climb on rock in San Francisco, there are a gazillion places you could go to, you know, and depending on the time of year, some are going to be hotter, colder than others. But you can have a pleasant experience like mid 50s on rock anywhere Whereas like growing up in Massachusetts, like there'd always be that rock climbing weekend in December where you'd be like, oh yeah, we can eke it out if you climb in the sun and you have like a terrible time. So like in my mind, you know, after Christmas, it's snowboard season. And then, you know, March-ish is where I feel like you could start going outdoors again. Uh, but around here, that's like not really the case. And it's really nice that I can, you know, commit to going skiing the weekends that I can. But, you know, if I want to go rock climbing in between, uh, I'm able to. I like it. It's a, it's a, you're, you're located in a good region of the world to do as many, uh, outdoor activities as you, as you want. Um, yes. Now, now you've, you've, and we've really jumped into the deep end pretty quickly. And I think our, the viewer and the listener can, can tell, uh, that your experience in the outdoors and, and doing all these advanced trips, but there's an element of your YouTube channel that I want to call out that is absolutely showing the, um, those more rugged trips, but also seems to be more geared towards the beginner, maybe encouraging them to come into the outdoors and explore the outdoors. Talk a little bit about that and maybe the motivation for your channel. Yeah. Um, so I, th I think some of the more educational stuff, which I have started doing recently, and I have a couple of releases on the back burner that I haven't put out yet. I think it's kind of the, the teacher in me, like being applied to the outdoors. Um, I think there's a there's a massive growth in popularity in the outdoors right now. And I think that um, the more experienced folks do have a little bit of responsibility to help the people maybe who aren't as quite in the know to, um, to just sort of like how to use the wilderness. You know, I think like, with this explosion of popularity, it's really important that everybody's working together to preserve these spaces for the future. And um, I'm trying to incorporate that into um, some of my YouTube content. The other part, I think, with my videos is um, I kind of make the videos so somebody like me could use them. 
So like if, if I'm planning a trip, I don't know, I'm going to uh, do the Easter Red on Mount Russell, for example, which is a 14,000 foot mountain near Mount Whitney. Um, you know, you can see a picture, you can read a little can read a little blurb that says you know walk the catwalk and don't look down because it's really scary like you know i'm gonna hop me personally if i'm gonna do this trip i'm gonna hop on youtube search the east ridge of mount russell and kind of try to get a picture of like what i'm getting into and i'm trying to sort of create stuff for other folks who want to do these trips to to give them an idea of what they're going to be getting into to inform their decision making from you know should i bring a rope how much climbing gear do i need like yeah, is is this within my ability level? I'm I'm trying to in, encourage people to get out there, or at least encourage people to make the best choice for them. Um, now, on that note, I find that bringing a camera and thinking through creating a video adds another layer of complexity to the outdoors. Do you have, when you go out on these outdoor adventures, an idea of? Um, how you're going to film it or a strategy in place beforehand? Strategy, not really. But as I've started making more and more videos, I've kind of found the the formula that works for me. Um, I think, first of all, at least in a lot of the stuff that I'm doing, like getting the shot is always secondary to the adventure as well as safety. And there's like a lot of times where I'm sure I would be able to get a super rad shot but if I'm hanging on to the side of the mountain or giving somebody a spot or making sure, you know, rocks from parties above me are falling on my head, like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take out the camera in, um, in those situations. So I've, I've found, you know, I always kind of have an intro. I need some sort of like framing scenic shots, a couple of action shots. Um, but we're kind of just trying to have the adventure and I really try to make the camera as like minimally intrusive as possible. The other part of that too is, um, if I'm having a big day and I, you know, I'm moving slower than I think or a bit off more than I can chew, which tends to happen. Um, you know, I can't be like, oh, let me go and climb over these rocks three times to get like the most, you know, aesthetic action shot possible. You know, it's kind of like a, we got to move. And I'm going to follow you with the camera behind you. And I hope it looks good. And I'm going to take, you know, three or four of those moving shots. And the best one's going to end up in the video. Some some of my favorite shots um, of yours are kind of, I would refer to them as almost the confessional shots. Uh, at the, the point where maybe an adventure didn't go as well as planned. And you've almost, it like cuts to a campground or sometimes the parking lot. And it's because it seems like the camera's been off for for a minute, and then you gotta reinform us what just happened. Yes, um, I think you. Yes, you could usually judge the um, quality or like my frustration level or maybe the fatigue level based upon sort of what happens between like the summit and the last shot. Because like you know, <laughs> if I'm I'm racing the sundown or I'm having a bad time or something, yes, the camera definitely comes out a lot less. Uh, understandably so. Now, have you noticed, uh, you mentioned a, a spike in, in popularity recently. Would you say that that is, was kind of driven by, by COVID specifically in the, in the Sierras or just, uh, enthusiasm for the outdoors? I think COVID play, I think he was like trending upwards and then COVID folks were like, oh, I have no choice but to go outdoors. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting growing up in the, in the Sierras, I can, the first time that I hiked Half Dome, um, I actually did it. It was, it was before the, the lottery and the permit. And for the viewers who don't know, you, you now have to apply for a permit, um, 
to to get to get access to some of these hikes and some of these um in, in some cases climbs and so it's it's interesting to see that kind of shift and rightfully so to try to manage the the overwhelming traffic that that is here yeah yeah totally i think it's more important than ever that people are being good stewards of the outdoors um educating maybe the folks who don't know the proper ways to do it in a respectful manner um, and just, you know, yeah, follow the leave no trace policies, do do everything that you can to keep the wild places wild and special for everybody. Um, okay, now let's talk about the John Muir Trail, your 2022 northbound adventure. Um, one of there are there are quite a few videos online now of of people hike, hiking and backpacking the, the John Muir Trail. Um, but I think that yours stood out in the fact that the majority of the the online content, I find it's people, which is really cool to see, it's maybe their, their first or their earlier in their backpacking career. And so we're watching them experience some of these challenges for the first time, which is has a lot of value in itself. But in your case, it, it almost seems like uh, you know, I would say somebody who's coming from a wealth of experience and then wants to do the John Muir Trail. Um, before you jump into kind of the motivation, would you just let us know what is the John Muir Trail and then and then w- why were you motivated to do it? So the uh, John Muir Trail is about a 211-mile trail that um, has a starting point in Yosemite Valley and an ending point in Mount Whitney or backwards, backwards, depending on which way you go. And, um, along the way you are pretty much going like right, right down the Sierra deep in the wilderness. You're, you're never crossing any roads, um, in that whole 200 mile stretch. And it's just like rugged, wild, beautiful country. We, um, it was actually a little more my wife who wanted to do it because we do a lot of sort of four or five day backpacks in the Sierra, you know, kind of take take a week and commit to backpacking. Um, but she wanted um, a sort of a like to commune with nature, maybe a little more a much more like serious wilderness experience. Um, yeah, because we were in the woods for 13 days and um, just all, and, and, and it was a different experience, you know, like ha- um, having to be really disciplined with rationing your food, planning your meals, like figuring out a resupply. Um, it was different than a, than a four day trip. And it, and it was really nice to like get in the groove of like, literally all I need to do today is like walk by beautiful things for like a three weeks. It, it was a really re- rewarding experience because it definitely was not always easy, but, um, and ending that was uh, just unforgettable, just the sense of accomplishment. Absolutely. And now, um, was it, it was it I, I've I, in my notes I've written down 13 13 days actually on the route that is a really fast time uh, did you set out to go fast or not have a uh, not not have a lot of time or what was the motivation to complete the route that quickly I mean a couple a couple things played together I think um, I mean my wife and I definitely like just moving across ground like I said you know we're not gonna you know if we want to make camp somewhere, but it's three o'clock and we got some more miles under our belt. Like we're going to go. I also think the, the time constraint, um, when we got our permit and we actually lucked out, we got the, the Mount Whitney permit. So that made, um, that saved us a day of hiking. We did not have to go to like Cottonwood or anything like that. Um, and we also had a family wedding on the other end. So, so we, we were uh, pretty confined. And then the last part of that is um, we had a little food snafu where we didn't plan enough meals. So um, it was supposed to be a 14-day trip, ended up being a 13-day trip. Uh, but it it was the style we wanted, which was kind of like 
let's cover some ground. Let's, you know, not move super fast, but let's, let, let's go places. That is probably, that was one of, one of my favorite moments of the video when, um, the, your wife and you realize that you're a meal short and kind of have to debate what to do. And I, um, I actually think you have to cut out an off trail excursion as a result to kind of make it. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting to me, especially now that I get to talk to you and put in context with that first backpacking story of in the early days packing too much and, and now you've packed too little food. Uh, I, ironically, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I was like a, a wire got crossed somewhere and we still don't know where I feel like there must've been some weirdness because we, we left the trailhead about Whitney and then we camped at trail camp, which is before the summit. And maybe because like that wasn't technically on the John Muir trail or that was like night zero it's or something like we just didn't know how to count to eight. I don't know what happened. <laughs> well, uh, it, but, but I, I, I like that it comes full circle and I can attest too that I've done a similar thing, um, in terms of, in terms of running out of food on the, uh, mine was on the Colorado trail. Um, but, but it's, it's just, it's interesting to see that in the early days of the backpacking career, packing too much. And in the late days, you, you could actually pack too little. One of the reasons, though, I think that perhaps as you as you progress and gain more experience is that the weight really matters and really changes the trip. And so packing the right amount of food, um, you have a strong incentive to pack the right amount of food and the right amount of gear, because I, I would say that depending on how much weight you're carrying, it drastically changes the nature of the trip. Did you find that you had your gear pretty dialed going in, or are there uh, a few things that you, that you would change um, after after those thirteen days? I mean, I think there's always things that you can you you can always spend more money to make something lighter. I mean, I, th I think that's that's the real uh, conundrum <laughs> at times. Is um, I would say that like we are definitely not ultra lighters. Uh, like we like I, I bring a book, for example. Um, I have a, I don't have the lightest sleeping pad. I have a very comfortable sleeping pad. Um, I run a little cold. So my sleeping bags probably rated for slightly colder temperatures than some other people. Um, you know, I have a good system that works for me. I would say it is slightly on the heavier side than some other backpackers. Um, but you know, I, I have sorted throughout many, many years. Um, yeah. What, what works for me well. And I know what I'm capable of with that gear on my back. And that was sort of how we planned and managed our expectations. Well, and there's a lot to be said for that too, right? A uh, good night's sleep goes a long way um, towards you can, it's a lot easier to carry extra weight when you feel rested and refreshed. Yeah, totally. Um, now, uh, something that I caught on the, on this on this hike or on the, on the JMT that you did was it wasn't just the, the JMT, but at, I thought it was only going to be once, but really at multiple points, it looked like you were breaking off trail to do, uh, I would call like day hikes or, or scrambles up, up mountains. Was that planned beforehand or did you just kind of decide that you wanted to climb scenic mountains? Those, those were planned beforehand. Um, so the, the three excursions I wanted to do, and unfortunately we were only successful on one, the three excursions were, um, Mount Muir, a split mountain in Mount Goddard. Um, so Mount Muir is another California 14er that's also in a restricted uh, permit only zone around Mount Whitney. Um, and the first time I ever did Mount Whitney, we wanted to do Mount Muir and ended up not climbing it. We climbed another spire next door. Um, so we needed a redemption round on that because we're trying to get as many 14ers in California as we can. 
And then the other two objectives, um, Split Mountain, while being a 14er, it's also one of those uh, Sierra Peaks SPS list emblem peaks. Um, so that's one of those big prizes that we really wanted. And it's a little easier to access from the JMT side than it is from the other side. So we thought that that would sort of be an efficient way to bag and tag an emblem peak. But because we didn't have the dinners lined up, we couldn't actually do it. And that was that was probably the most painful part of the trip, to be honest, was we were in the basin staring at Split Mountain and staring at our very empty bear cans, realizing that if we wanted to get up there, uh, we would be spending 24 hours without food. Um, so we chose to forego Split Mountain, have a monster day the next day. We did it. We did a 22 mile day from Mather Pass to the Evolution Basin, uh, which ended with um, the last part of that 22 mile, the last seven miles were Muir Pass, which um, is the longest distance wise and second most elevation gain of any pass in the JMT. And we were just like murdered at that point, but we still kind of woke up and wanted to do Mount Goddard. Uh, Mount Goddard is an emblem peak. It is, I believe it's the highest peak off the Sierra Crest. So it's really, really deep in the mountains and has spectacular summit views. Um, and we woke up, we're a little fatigued. I mean, we, we tried to commit, um, we ended up off route, lost a ton of time for that reason, drank a little more water as a result, and just decided that that wasn't going to be in the cards for the day. So we, we turned around. Now, I, I didn't get a chance to ask you about the, the emblem piece before, cause I've, I've actually, I, I haven't, I'm not familiar with those. So it's part of, of, um, a list of iconic peaks. Are they all? Are they all uh, 14ers or is it just kind of a, a collection of the best peaks in California? Um, so, okay, so the, the, the SPS list is 247 of the most worthy summits in the Sierra, in the Sierra region. So that's it. Um, and then the, the list is further sort of um, broken up into geographic regions. And um, about half of the regions happen to have an emblem peak, which is just like the biggest, baddest in the region. Like, you know, Mount Whitney being the highest is one of them. Um, you know, Goddard being like, you know, the highest peak off of Sierra Crest and being way deep in the mountains. Um, if you've ever been to Bishop, you've seen Mount Humphreys. Like that's the mountain that stands, you know, the tallest over the town. Like that's one of that's one of their emblems. So that it's, it's like and when you're on a summit, like in, your eye will be drawn to the other emblem peaks just because they 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 are the biggest, most scenic. They're where you want to be, <laughs> of course. Now, and and when when we when when you kind of mention these emblem peaks, are how many of them, or are they mainly? Um, do you need to bring uh, rope and rock climbing hardware as well, or is it mainly kind of scrambling, hiking, some sort of mixture? Um, I'm I'm racking my brain briefly. Um, I think most of them. Most of them fall in the sort of scrambler, the like third, fourth class terrain. So it's like just below tech. It's, it's below technical rock climbing, but in some instances you may want a rope. Um, that's to do the easiest way. I mean, a lot of these peaks have many routes, which are serious technical rock climbs. Um, I think Mount, Mount Clarence King, I know the top of it to get to the very top is fifth class rope required. Um, but you could do most of them without proper climbing skills. But now, you know, I, I always find in conversations with with this, there it's always a spectrum. And I, I believe on the JMT, right, there was some um, third class that potentially made its way into fourth class, or was pre perhaps a little bit too in intimidating in the moment. Um, yes, that caused a turnaround as well. 
Yeah, so that that was on Mount Goddard. Um, the route was supposed to be second class terrain, which is supposed to be kind of like rough travel and your hands are going to be used for balance, not for upward progress. We got in some like definitely third class, which is where you're using your hands to kind of pull yourself up. And then the fourth class is the scarier version of the third class. And, you know, we kind of we were expecting something and it did not meet our expectations. And we burned up a lot of time to try to make it meet our expectations and that and found a lot of loose rock in the process, which kind of mentally frazzled us, which sort of just led to us turning around. Now, now, see, I, I always find, um, and, and maybe to our, to our, to our, to our viewer that is not as familiar with non-rock climbing terms, um, I, I always find that, that second through fourth class is a very wide range of potential, uh, um, potential climbing situations. Um, yes. now I believe on paper, right. Fifth class is the first rope required. If I, if I have that correctly. I would say like fourth class rope is strongly recommended. Like okay. a four, fourth class kind of means like if you fall, you will die. Okay. That's kind of like the big, the big den denotion between like the third and the fourth. The bar. Um, and I also, yep. yes. Yeah. But I also think though, you know, they say the roots, if they say the roots third class, like should just be a scramble. Like that's also if you perfectly take the line of least resistance. And I don't think I've ever done that perfectly. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a good call out and i and i also like that as we talk as you and i talk about the second third and fourth you could already tell um that that there there's a wide range of, of different opinions and different uh descriptions that yeah that, that kind of exist now yeah. um i got a chance earlier last week to talk to um a backpacker who did the sierra high route um, kind of paralleling, uh, I, I would call it the, the off trail version of the, of the JMT for lack of a better description. Does that appeal to you? Or in your case, it seems like the style of doing the JMT, but, but having the opportunity to, um, to reach these iconic peaks along the way is perhaps a better option. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, 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 we liked our style of kind of, can we yeah fly down the trail, take the side trip when we want to the Sierra high route interests me, but I just, I do, it sounds a little bit like a massive suffer fest in my opinion. I've, I've done a little bit of research, not a lot. Um, the difference between the Sierra high route yeah, and the JMT is that the Sierra high route, you try to stay sort of as close to the Sierra crest as possible. And whereas on the John Muir trail, you're in a lot of valleys and going through a lot of, you know, like the, the, the mountain passes are the absolute lowest way to get over whatever this feature is like on the Sierra high route, you're doing a, you're doing a lot more talus scrambling. You're in, you're in boulders, boulder fields, kind of loose stuff sometimes like on granite slabs and that can just take its toll after a while. And, um, well, like the areas are beautiful and I'm sure it'd be super rad to like not see people for many, many days in a row. Um, I'm a little hesitant of spending the entire time rock hopping. I could, I could understand that. And I really like your style of perhaps being able to move quicker on the JMT with, with a path. And, and frankly too, navigation is much less of a concern than on the Sierra high route. And then being able to kind of grab these, these great adventures. Um, now you've got another sort of parallel series contained within your YouTube channel. Um, the, the summer in the Sierra, summer in the Sierra series. 
what's that all about? And um, what's your motivation for doing that? Cool. Yeah. Um, so the Summer in the Sierra series, it, it's, a, it's a riff on John Muir. So John Muir famously wrote a book called My First Summer in the Sierra. So that's kind of what I'm um, relating it to. Oh, do you have it? For the for the for the viewers who are uh, for the for the viewers who are who are uh, uh, sorry for the people who are viewing this and not listen listening to it, I have the book. I I um, I realize like I've done all these adventures. Sorry to cut you off, but I realize no, no, I've done totally. all these. I, I've done all these adventures in the Sierras, and yet I haven't read a, a lot about John Muir. So I'm I'm starting. I've I've got that one, and then I've also got a a book on the Hetch Hetchy. Um, oh, cool. The the for those who don't know, uh, there were almost two Yosemites, um, and and that Hetch Hetchy kind of got flooded to uh, to power and provide water to San Francisco, and so there's kind of this this duality of do we provide power and and water to to grow a burgeoning city or do we keep nature pristine? Um, so it's always a conflict, and and. I love reading about it, but so, sorry to cut you off. Go no, ahead. no, I mean, no, the, the Hatch Hatchy story is, is a very interesting story. I think you, you could almost argue that that may have been what killed John Muir because he was rallying Congress really hard for them not to do that. I wrote a research paper about that, I believe, when I was in 11th grade living in Boston. I only had Yosemite dreams, so it's really great to actually get out there and um, see it. Sorry. All right. Going back to the summer in the Sierra. So, um, it was, I will fully admit that it was started out of pure hubris. Uh, so the summer of 2021, um, we were kind of coming out of all the COVID madness and I had just finished a year of teaching physics, like almost entirely on zoom and, and life was nuts. Um, so my wife and I actually decided to move out of San Francisco, put our stuff into storage. And we spent the whole summer in Mammoth. Mammoth Lakes was kind of our home base. We were there for about 60 days. I think I took maybe four rest days the entire time. It was it was pretty wild. Um, and I used that time to like start a social experiment to just be like, could I be an influencer? And once again, it was all hubris. I was basically like, I was like, I see these people who have like all these followers, like doing all this stuff. Like I get way radder than them. I could just like post a photo of me in this cool place. Like I'm just going to start racking up the followers. It's going to be sick. Um, I tried it, so I, I still have the Instagram handle Summer in the Sierra with like underscores in between, and I just like immediately burned out. I just like like just like could not handle like all the writing of the captions of the release schedule, and I, I had a bad workflow, and it was it was terrible. Um, but I was still sort of like gathering, documenting, vlogging all of these adventures, and I had this huge bank of footage. And then um, I found that like my outlet might be is actually YouTube. So I've been spending a lot more time doing the YouTube stuff, making the sort of more like adventure edits. You kind of, you know, four to 10 minute videos of a day in the mountains or whatever it is. Um, and I will use the summer in the Sierra tag if it is a adventure in the Sierra in warm weather. That's like kind of really all, all that it means. Um, but we're racking up the episodes. I think I'm in like the thirties at this point. And it's a good feeling to know that, you know, you can spend that many days out of the mountains. Absolutely. That's really cool though, that you, um, that you kind of went for it and, and, you know, went down the line of influence or, you know, con a pure content creator. Um, now it, it's, it's also interesting to hear your experience on it, um, in your thought process. 
I find that I've got a lot of friends that are in the similar situation like you, where they're looking at some of these these videos um, or these, these sort of Instagram posts, that sort of thing, and they're they're recognizing and rightfully so that it's it's like in your case that you're doing um, clearly more advanced trips, clearly more difficult trips, but trying to bring that over to social media is quite a challenge. Um, did you find that it was hard to hard to do the adventures at that level and capture that? Or was it more, as you were saying, just a logistical trying to keep up with the, uh, I've heard the term feed the beast sort of term. Uh, I mean, that's like, I mean, I'm sort of having that sort of crisis right now. Whereas you, you know, like I'm my bank of footage and adventures is kind of running a little low, but I'm still trying to like keep up a regular release schedule. So that's kind of why i've shifted into some slightly more like educational content you know like oh maybe this week's release like isn't going to be an adventure um but also talking about sort of like capturing stuff in the moment like i said it's always sometimes a what i get is what i get because i don't always have the freedom the ability to you you know yeah do do multiple takes and i'm not bringing three cameras if i'm trying to you know cover 20 miles in a day or whatever it is right right and now did you experience uh, experiment with multiple flat platforms? It, it sounds like now your your uh, your your style of of creating um, fits YouTube really well. But it sounds like uh, you started a bit more on ins- Instagram. Yeah, I, I I I don't know why, but I thought Instagram kind of seemed like the one. I don't I don't know. Yeah, it just se- it seemed like the one. I was just convinced that like the followers were going to roll in, and that ended up not being the one. Um, I found like the. I, I also sort of struggle with the whole like like influencer personality thing. And I and I and I try to like not cave to like too much of that pressure, right? Like, like if you're on Instagram, like you just have to be like happy, bubbly, positive, like all the time. Um, whereas, you know, some of these adventures don't always go as planned. And like sometimes I don't actually have fun. And and like, you know, I'm I I'm trying to just like be real. I'm trying to like, I think like when you're out there, you're going to see me love in life when I do a great hike or do a great climb. But then there's also going to be some moments where I'm not enjoying myself where, you know, turning around is a really tough decision. Um, you, you know, something bad happens. Um, so I'm trying to kind of like keep, keep it, keep, keep it realistic and not cave for too much pressure. Um, and I have not gone into the, the short form stuff. I'm not on TikTok. I, I cannot, in good conscience, like I could not distill the John Muir trail, like a 13 day adventure into like a 30 second, like assortment of clips. Like I, I just, I like that. That's, that's not what the experience felt like. And that's not what I want to advertise the experience as. That was, that was actually going to be my next question. I was going to go down that, <laughs> the, the, the route of that short form content. It's right. Cause it seems like YouTube, especially the long form really lends itself to you to show that full arc of, you know, pre-trip excitement maybe initial struggles and then who knows success failure and and how that how that goes um so so no interest or little interest in moving into the the shorts or the tiktok world no and i also don't understand it i don't understand i i just don't i don't know like you just have some weird song with like a couple of clips and a hundred thousand people like it i i it it makes no sense to me i mean i'm a high school physics teacher right like i i I see these teenagers obsessed with it and they show me like oh isn't this really funny and like six times out of ten i'm like i definitely don't get this but i'm gonna smile and pretend i do (laughs) 
I love it. I love now. I've I've dabbled in all in various different uh, forms of of social media at this point, and ironically, despite the fact that, like you said, I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around it better, but I will say that YouTube Shorts has by far been the uh, most popular version of my content. So this is okay. a this podcast is perhaps a. Uh, dipping my toe into the into the much longer form, being a an hour plus uh, engagement, but it's a it's an uh-huh. interesting world out there. Um, yeah. Now, do you have a a particular adventure? I was just kind of scrolling through your your um, uh, summer in the Sierras um, video list, and it looks like you've done so many so many great adventures in the in the sierras do you have one that stands out as your favorite or perhaps one that that uh w- one of your more favorites can i give you three please, please. Okay? I, I mean i, I mean I've, I've had a lot of great days in the mountains with like so many great people yeah um, i'd say the ones that come to mind were um a day that my wife and i did the northeast ridge on bear creek spire um bear creek spire is a, is a beautiful peak at the end of uh, rock creek or little lakes valley that's the highest paved road in California. So you get most of your vert in the car and not hiking, which is really nice. But um, it's just a super classic, like it's a technical rock climb, but it's really easy. And it was just my wife and I, um, it was a really big day, but we got it done in a day in really good style. And like for her, that was kind of like, like her really stepping her game up and like becoming a mountaineer. And that was just like a really special day for both of us. Um, my second one of a similar vein is actually um, climbing Cathedral Peak in Tuolumne Meadows slash Yosemite with my dad. So going back to the beginning where I said like that day that I had on the Grand Teton with my dad, that was kind of like the start of all of this. And uh, we did the Grand Teton with a guide. I um, I went up Cathedral Peak and um, I, I kind of took the lead all through like high school and stuff. I was climbing with my dad and he always took the lead. And this was kind of like the first time that I felt like I was in the lead and um you know, I, I, it was just really, really special to kind of take my dad up there and, you know, sort of, it was my way of almost like giving back saying like, you know, you've, you showed me the the power of the outdoors and, um, it's opened up so many opportunities for me. I just, I want, I want you to be here with me and just really say thank you. And then, um, my third a real, adventure, real full, sorry. a real, a real full circle moment. Yeah, it, it was. And then, yeah. And that's what, that's what made it really special. Um, and then my, the number three that comes to mind is the, uh, Tuolumne triple in Yosemite. So, um, there it, it's, you link the three kind, three of the bigger features in Tuolumne. So it's Tenaya peak, um, Mathis crest, and then cathedral peak. I did all of those in a day with my OG climbing partner from high school, Tilly. And, uh, it was an 18 hour, like 12 miles of hiking over a mile of rock climbing adventure. And it was, it was stellar. Awesome. Those those sound like three great adventures. Um, you know, something that immediately comes to mind, though, when you describe them, is uh, you you go to the people that you were with almost immediately, not just the adventure. How does that play into how you want to experience the outdoors? Um, yeah, and the and the, the the with the people that are with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think your partner is really important. You know, I mean. Yeah, because when you're putting multiple heads together on something, you want to be as in sync as possible, you know. And I, and I'm fortunate that I have so many great partners, but I also have people, you know, that are maybe better partners in one aspect or the other. And it's really, really nice to, you know, round out my skill set with who I'm with, but also, you know, be with somebody that I trust, that I know is experienced, that 
also is going to have sound judgment, is going to check my judgment maybe at times. Um, and also just to share it with, you know, like it's, it's, it's a lot more special to do some stuff with people to remember it by than just do it, do it by yourself. And I, I do a little bit of both, but it, it's the, the, the people you meet along the way, make it a lot more special. Absolutely. Really, really rewarding. Um, now if, if someone wants to, if somebody's listening to this and wants to go in the Sierras for the first time, be it a, a hike, a, a backpacking trip, something along that nature, do you have go-to recommendations that you, that you give people? Um, I, yes, but I think it's probably a little more of like an interview process. I think, you know, I kind of want to ask like, what, what do you prioritize? Um, also like what are the logistics? Like, do you have four days? Do you have three days? Um, and like, how many how many miles can you cover? Stuff stuff like that. Um, I I have a pretty la large bank of that. Um, I have a YouTube video coming out soon on um, like intro to scrambles, where I have kind of like seven seven third to fourth class peaks, like ranked in the order that I would recommend doing them. Going starting from you know twenty feet of scrambling just to get to the summit to like you know a whole day like thousand plus foot sort of adventure i got you so a wide range and it sounds like the the adventure really needs to fit the person yeah yeah totally uh and then on on those on on um that sort of note um um let's let's talk a little bit about um uh, i know you wanted to um sort of like as as the as the outdoors and as the sierras increases in popularity um kind of make sure that that everybody's following some leave no trace policy uh, policies and enjoying nature responsibly um what are your thoughts on that how do you approach that um yeah i mean i, the, I mean the way that i the way i view it is like i love this place it's so special to me i need to make sure that it looks like this for other people um and i think that i mean i try to instill that with folks i try to you know without being like i'm not trying to be like a spray lord or anything when i'm out on the trail but you know if i see something i will try to you know politely hey you know the trail's this way or you know you, you dropped your wrapper uh you know again you just you you know, or, Hey, maybe that's not how we do things here. You know, and, um, you need to pack out your toilet paper or something, you know, we need to need to just make sure that, that everybody is checking on everybody to keep the wild places special. Sure. Sure. Keep, keep the wild places wild. Yeah. Um, now, now let's talk a little bit. I know you, you were saying that you're running, uh, light or lower on footage and I can, I can definitely, I've definitely gone through dips myself, uh, <laughs> as, as well, but do you have upcoming adventures, um, or upcoming videos that you're, that you're planning on that you would like to shoot? Um, I know the, the, the summer and the summer is not too far away. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, yes. The, the, the wheels are always spinning. It's, it's, it's ridiculous actually how much time I'm just spending in theory crafting and try, Oh, can I link that bound to that bound? Or, Oh, is this a day trip or an overnight? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to Revelstoke next week to do some skiing for five days, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, I have a, some loose plans to go to the Bitterroots in Montana actually this summer. And apparently they have some really sick, uh, Alpine granite that flies under the radar. We're going to hear what that's about. 
um, other Sierra adventures. Um, I want to bike the Onion Valley Trailhead. So um, by the numbers, that's supposed to be like the hardest uphill bike climb in California. It gains like over 5,000 feet in like 13 miles. So I think that's going to be a fun test of endurance. Um, my wife and I have some plans to take on some more of those emblem peaks. We're going to get a redemption round with split that we had to uh, skip on the John Muir trail. Um, and I'm just, yeah, I, I got a couple other loose plans with some people that I, I, I we don't even know where we're going to go. I mean, the, the options are endless. You know, I, I sent a friend to like five peaks the other day and I was like, you know, which, which two do you want to do? Like, let's, let's take a pick. I'm, I'm getting the strong sense that there are too many adventures to count uh, here, that there's no shortage of desire. No, no, not, not, not at all. Awesome. Well, um, Alex, I wanted to thank you uh, for, for taking the time and to come on the podcast. It was great to hear uh, the full spectrum of your, your adventures and a really interesting view into the, into the world. And it's really exciting to hear uh, how much, how much passion you have for the Sierras. And it's, it's actually inspired me to, to put together another trip and we'll see, we'll see what comes about it. But I wanted to thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, you're quite welcome. Um, I, I hope to see you out on the trails. And if any viewers are listening on uh, my YouTube channel is Wanksties. Uh, please check that out. And then my Instagram is summer in the Sierra with underscores in between all the words. Linked below. Linked below. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>